This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Galley. Our guest this week is UC Davis professor, Dr. Frank Mitlerter. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, the voice of milk. Learn more at voiceofmilk.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Dr. Frank Mitlerter next. Open Mic is brought to you by Edge Dairy Cooperative, the voice of milk. Edge provides dairy farmers in the Midwest with a strong voice, the voice of milk, in Congress, with customers, and within their communities. Edge is a progressive organization that represents all dairy farmers equally, recognizing both their differences and similarities. Now the number four dairy cooperative in the country based on milk volume, Edge is amplifying the voice of its farmers. Now more than ever, dairy farmers need to be heard. Learn more at voiceofmilk.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Producing food for a growing global population is the challenge of this generation of global agriculture. UC Davis professor and air quality extension specialist Dr. Frank Mitlerter says sustainable intensification is the goal of modern agriculture to meet the task at hand. Uh, I just turned 50, and uh, when I was a little boy, we had 3 billion people in the world. Today we have 7.6, and by the time I'm an old man, we will have 9.5. Or in other words, throughout my lifetime and yours, human population on our planet will have tripled. But we will not have three times more natural resources to feed these people, three times more land, three times more water, fertilizer, and so on, to feed these people. And that just simply means that we have to become way more efficient in how we produce food globally than we are today. Now, this so-called 2050 challenge, that's its name, is not equally distributed throughout the world. In the Americas and in Europe, we will not really feel that 2050 challenge very much because human population will not increase by, by much. But in Africa and Asia, it will. And that's where the whole thing will play out. So... Currently, increasing demands for animal source foods, for example, are not increasing in the developed world, but in developing and emerging countries. And, and here, really, uh, countries are increasing livestock numbers instead of improving efficiency. And I think that's where we need to work. Do you feel that there are critics of modern-day agriculture that want to use climate change as a basis to advance their own preferences for the foods we eat and how they're produced? I have no doubt about that. Uh, because the same actors that now use that topic had previously used animal welfare or food safety or pink slime or other issues in order to advance their agendas. So it's just a new topic. Uh, one that I'm particularly schooled in, and so one that I can speak of and speak to, uh, and I can tell you many of them cannot, but they use that as an argument to advance their agenda. What is the fear of a knee-jerk reaction or making uh, major shifts in agricultural production not based on solid or sound science? Well, there are different parties out there. There are some people, even in agriculture, who are critics. They say, we don't believe in climate change. We don't think it's happening. And that is a real problem because uh, it is happening. And agriculture has a contribution to it. But uh, the contribution of agriculture, particularly animal agriculture, to climate change is overplayed in most cases. And that's a real problem because um, 
the true culprit of climate change, the true major human contribution to it is the use of fossil fuel. And by people uh, acting as if it were our food choices that could redirect um, humans' impact, uh, we are barking up the wrong tree. And uh, we are putting up a, a smokescreen for big oil, for fossil fuel production and use. And that's, that's a challenge. Agriculture can have a major positive impact on reducing climate change, you know, particularly greenhouse gases, because it's one of two sectors of society that can actually sequester and assimilate a lot of carbon and take it out of the air and store it for a long time. Some would suggest an answer is to go back to agriculture in the 40s and 50s or to have everyone stop consuming meat and become vegetarians. Well, that would be... That would be foolish for the several reasons. First of all, we were much, much less efficient in how we produced food back then. Uh, for example, on the, on the dairy side, just to give you one example, you know, it took two-thirds more resources in 1950 than it does today to produce a gallon of milk. Uh, the same is true for beef and other commodities. To go back would mean the same as saying, let's go back to driving 1950 Chevys. Okay, these things might look great, just like the red barn looked great, uh, the red barn that cattle were housed in. But guess what? They were not great. And uh, we have made market improvements, not just in transportation, the way we drive today with much more fuel efficient and cleaner cars, but we've done the same with livestock. Our livestock is way more efficient and has a much lower environmental footprint than ever before. Going back would be a travesty. And going vegan... Uh, if the entire country, the entire United States were to go vegan, we would reduce the carbon footprint of our country by 2.6%. But the authors of that research warned that if we were to do so, we would not be able to satisfy the nutritional needs of our citizens. Can we go to yesterday's agriculture and satisfy that challenge of feeding the growing planet? No, there's no doubt um, that we couldn't. In fact, even if we were to go organic, if we were to abandon conventional agriculture and go organic completely, uh, estimates would be that we could not feed 1.5 billion people on Earth. So I don't think anybody would uh, want to do that. And the reason for that is that even organic production is about a third or so less productive compared to conventional. So drastically reducing food production is the least thing we, we want to do or the last thing we want to do. What is needed is uh, some serious thinking about sustainable intensification, how we can produce more with less, because a tripling of human population throughout our lifetimes without increasing natural resources makes just that a necessity. The new word in agriculture is sustainability, and as you suggested, sustainable intensification. It is the fear of climate change that now has a special congressional committee in Washington set soon to make recommendations on climate change to leadership, and there could be some proposals here that might be detrimental to agriculture. From your perspective, what's important now for this committee and this industry to consider? the fear people have of the term sustainability is unfounded. I would say farmers and ranchers relate better to the term stewardship. Being the best steward of their land, 
of their of their animals, of their workers, and so forth, is something that doesn't worry farmers. The term sustainability is often connected to almost like a political, a partisan or so sphere, and and it really it really should. I think agriculture should own this this topic because there is hardly any other sector of society that contributes more to sustainability. And so, to me. A fear of that is unfounded, and agriculture should be a natural ally of any kind of sustainability efforts. Back in May, I was asked to give testimony before the U.S. Senate, and I gave testimony just about that topic, sustainability and climate impacts in and around animal agriculture. And I was, I was very encouraged to see how intelligent, how well-reasoned, and how mature the senators were in addressing that issue. They're well aware of this being a political issue. They're well aware of what farmers do and how important farmers are uh, strategically to the welfare of this country and the world. So help us understand, when we talk about climate change and we talk about greenhouse gas emissions, how does agriculture get a bum steer in that debate? Because a lot of this comes down to the models and declaring a villain. The number one strategy of those people who depict agriculture in a negative way, their number one method is to use global averages. And globally, livestock is responsible for about 14, 14% of our greenhouse gases. All of agriculture, about 25%. But the numbers are high because they are heavily weighed by developing and emerging countries where they have relatively few transportation choices and, and uh, where industries are not really developed and thus uh, livestock and agriculture in general is a high contributor to their overall carbon footprints. In the United States, it's not 14.5% for livestock, but it's 3.9%. You will never hear that those people citing that number, even though it would be the appropriate number for the United States, because it would not make their point. I think what is really important is that farmers and ranchers in this country here know that globally, and I know what I'm talking about because I've worked with global institutions on this, globally we are not the pariah, we are the hero, we are the, the most environmentally friendly producer of food. There's no other place that uses relatively fewer resources to produce a given amount of food as we do here. So I think it's unfounded and I think it's very unfortunate that there are these food wars around how we produce food in this country because our farmers deserve better. So do you see ways now in the agriculture environment that you work in in California where confined livestock operations, whether feedlots or dairies or poultry, are able to adapt and to adopt practices that help them to lessen their environmental footprint, but also produce more food with less resources? Well, look, California by far is the number one food-producing state in the country. We are producing twice more food in California than the number two agricultural state. So... We are an agricultural powerhouse. There's no question about that. Now, there are some major challenges, environmental and others, ahead of us. Uh, one of them is, for example, that um, our agricultural sector was charged with reducing methane, the greenhouse gas methane, by 40%, 4-0, within the next 11 years, so until 2030. Now, 
we were shocked because this is a very high number. Reducing methane by 40% is massive. But what shall I tell you? Instead of regulating with, uh, you know, with, with assigning strong penalties and so on to farmers, instead of doing that, the state decided not to go the cane, but the carrot approach. So what that means is they incentivized technologies to reduce greenhouse gases and they partnered with the dairy and beef and other industries to deploy technologies to reduce these gases, particularly methane. And what, what happened as a result? Of the 40%, of the 40% that our farmers need to reduce methane, they have already reduced 25%. So 25 of the 40 are already achieved. So over half of the goal that was set for 2030 has already been reached while producing sensational amounts of food at high quality. So if you put things in front of our farmers, goals, if you level the, the playing field and work with them and incentivize environmental optimization of production, then there is just no limit to what these people can do. The worst thing that can happen is to alienate that sector because then you get absolutely nowhere. Dr. Mitlerner, obviously a ruminant animal is a ruminant animal, but are there ways of nutrition, are there ways of animal husbandry that we can lessen the effects of methane emissions from those those animals? Yes. So while most people think of animal manure being the most uh, prominent culprit of greenhouse gases from animal agriculture, actually the number one is enteric emissions. Enteric emissions refers to methane that's belched out the product of the cow, her mouth. Um, so can these emissions be lowered? The answer is yes. Um, we have, we are in the process of um, experimenting with various feed additives. These feed additives have various modes of action. Some of them change the rumen microbiology. Some of them change enzymatic uh, processes in the rumen. But they all have in common that we get reductions of methane in the order of 10 to 40%. Some of them even more. The challenge is that whenever you change feed, whenever you introduce feed additives, for example, then... Uh, several or many of them have to go through FDA approval, and that takes time. So as scientists, we are doing studies on various feed additives as we speak. I mean, literally as we speak. Um, and there seems to be great promise. The challenge is it takes some time to get them on the market. But there will be, and my prediction is that in five years from now, we will have a set of of additive technologies that will reduce these emissions by up to 50%. Dr. Mitlerner, what can the rest of the nation's agriculture learn from some of the challenges that California farmers are facing today? Well, I think the most important thing is you must not assume that the pressure that agriculture is undergoing, that this pressure will subside. And don't think that what you see happening in California is limited to California and has no repercussions on you. What I can tell you, and I have seen it over the years, is that globally, sustainability discussions do not start in California. They actually start in the Netherlands, in Germany, in Denmark, in Northern Europe. They then spread throughout the rest of Europe, and then five to ten years later, they jump into California. 
the same topics, okay, the same topics. And then it takes another few years until they go to Washington, Oregon, and so on, and then they spread throughout the United States, then go from here to Mexico, and another 10 years later, they go to China. I've seen it over and over and over again, and I have no doubt that, that history will repeat itself. This whole discussion around greenhouse gases will stay hot for a while, and then it will be moved into something else because those people who feel that this is uh, the most important angle now will soon find that it's not because of new findings we have. What are the greatest threats that you see today to animal agriculture or agriculture overall based on what's percolating, if you will, in other portions of the world? What's yet to come? Well, the greatest threat is that farmers stick their heads in the sand and simply say, you know, I don't believe in any of this. Leave me alone with that. You know, I don't believe in climate change. I don't believe that if it really happens that my animals have anything to do with it. I disagree with that, and I think it's not a good approach. I think that if a society, particularly the younger part of society, is really gravely concerned with the topic that uh, you are involved in, then a smart move is to really say, okay, we understand climate change, for example, is an important topic for society. My cows have something to do with it. In fact, U.S.-wide dairy cows, for example, produce 2% of all greenhouse gases. Beef animals, about the same. So we have quantified those impacts. We know what they are. And that is research that has put us in front of the rest of society. Most other sectors of societies don't of society don't have those kind of data we do. And not just do we have that data, but we have identified ways to further reduce emissions. And we have engaged in this process. So we are taking this topic seriously. We have quantified it and we have made further pledges that we're working very hard on achieving. At the same time, we are producing food. So everybody has to be clear that producing food will have environmental externalities associated with it, whether it's greenhouse gases or water consumption and so on. There will always be environmental externalities around food production. The question is, how can we minimize those externalities? And that's where we have to uh, really work on. And, and in a way that is reaching across and not in a way that, that is antagonistic and belligerent, that does not get us anywhere. Dr. Mitlerner, we want to thank you for spending time with us here on this edition of Open Mic. And we want to congratulate you on being selected the winner of the 2019 Borlaug Cast Communication Award. This is Open Mic, and sir, you have the last word today. Well, I can tell you, I think food production is, well, food overall is a beautiful thing. I think we would all agree that food is something that is not just necessary, but it's it's beautiful. And uh, you know, the farmers and ranchers in this country are the ones responsible for feeding us. I mean, everything that you buy in the supermarket today and in the weeks, months, and years ahead has its origin on a farm. And let's not make the life of these people growing all of that miserable, but work with them to improve wherever improvements are needed and really move all of us forward. This is not an important, it is an essential part of our society and uh, these people deserve better. I really mean it. These people deserve better, and I will put everything in my power to improve ways, optimize ways we produce food, 
to the benefit to all of us, of all, all of us. And, um, and I think everybody can help with that. So let's really look at food as what it is, a beautiful thing, and thank those people growing it for us. Our thanks to UC Davis professor Dr. Frank Mittlitter, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, the voice of milk. Learn more at voiceofmilk.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.